and welcome to our podcast, The Ups and Downs of a Small Business Owner, where we hope to show you exactly what it's like to grow a business. Today, I'm here with Tanya Gordon from The Many Hats of Business and Total Industrial Graving Limited. How would you describe yourself? How would I describe myself? Fun and sensible at the same time. Okay. <laughs> Loyal and a worker okay good I mean they're all positive traits to have in business mm. if we go back to your beginning then where do we start in the pub actually okay <laughs> I'm sure a lot of people start in the pub but actually when I left school I really wanted to run my own pub that's what I wanted from the age of like 15 16 my first job was as a waitress and I worked in kitchens and I actually went to college to do catering and that was my dream to have my own pub because of how I work and I'm very you know just get in there and get it get on with it get it done and just sort of lead the way I ended up really kind of in a position where I was ready at 18 which is ridiculous and at that point I realized that you I couldn't do that at 18 because you know you get bits of trouble and things like that and it just uh, as an 18 year old telling some grown man that they've got to leave the pub it, you know it's not it's like where's your boss yeah that's me then it, you know it just wasn't really gonna work and then I got I'd started to think you know I knew that at some point I would want kids and I've always been quite ahead of my time with a lot of things so even at 18 I knew that I'd you know get married and have kids and things like that so I knew that I didn't really want to live in a pub with the kids and my husband at the time worked in the police so he had shifts and I don't think he could really work in the pub I wasn't married at 18 but you know I'd met him um so it just sort of took me on this journey where I realized that it was perhaps more business that I was interested in and it didn't need to be a pub because it wasn't the work-life but it, you know, well there was there's no such thing really is there of a work-life balance so yeah it was it was an interesting journey and then I wanted to I because I was quite valued as a team member I'd put in the diary that I was off for a wedding and a hen do two Saturdays in the summer and my boss it just said when I came to it it said no you're not and the students were all back and I was like this is ridiculous so yeah at 19 I left and went to work for my dad's engraving company so that's how it all started okay so yeah so so was your dad self-employed at that point he had three businesses one of them being the engraving business and all he'd done is he'd got a company that made switchgear panels and spent a lot of money on engraved labels so he'd ended up getting speaking to a guy he knew that got a machine I don't think he was working somewhere else, but I basically started a new business employing this chap and he used to just tell all of his clients that, oh, you know, we make our labels now and we can make yours. So it was a very small part of the business that just wasn't really pushed in any way up until when I joined. Okay. And then, so you've you've joined that? Yes, I was 19. And, And working for your dad? 15 years ago. It's more than that now. I've aged. <laughs> yeah, 17 years ago. Every year that goes past, you get a year older. It's, it's <laughs> How does that happen? <laughs> no, but say, working for your 
So was that your business or was that working for your dad? It was working for my dad initially, but he didn't really have much involvement in it. It just sort of ran itself, like orders came in, not many, but orders came in and this chap and another girl that was part-time got them out and then I just went and started learning and taking over, as I do. Right. So, so were you given like formal training or anything or you just kind of... By um, Martin that was there on the engraving side, they showed me, you know, what to do on the engraving side. And it's funny because what we did, well, the making labels isn't difficult. He could do all the manual stuff and it's like trying to rub your head and pat your belly at the same time. It's, it's impossible. Um, so very quickly, I, and our machine didn't have one of the bits on it that made it harder. Very quickly, I was like, well, we're not going to be carrying on this route. You know, there's no point in me training in it because it's not cost effective for the time. You know, what you can charge for how long it takes. It wasn't a skill there was any point in learning. I'm quite... I'm always looking for a better solution to something. It's just kind of how I'm, I don't know, I'm just born like it, I guess. Um, I'm always looking for a quicker solution. So very quickly, uh, there was improvements being made in the productivity just because I would see a better way to do something. Is that something you've always had? Mm. Yeah, it's just, yeah, how I am in the pub. Yeah, and like when I say I'm a worker, I am. And I tend to automatically, people always look to me for, to lead them really and ask me stuff. So even when I was 18, I'd got people that were older than me training them up. I trained, I used to do all the ordering in the cellar. I got people far older than me that I was training up to take over when I left. And yeah, I used to do order all the guest beers and stuff. And I've always been quite business minded in the sense of like, we used to have a price bracket for the guest beer was charged out at depending on like the percentage on the till so I knew that if it was like 3.9 to 4.2 it was charged that so when I would be buying beer in guest prices I'd be looking for the cheapest barrel in a certain percentage range because I knew that we could charge we were charging a lot more for it and like my boss never told me that it was just what I did Right, you, you just took that upon yourself. Yeah, and... because I was in charge of ordering guest beer at 19. Yeah. And I don't drink beer. <laughs> and we were, you know, it was an old man's pub. It was very important that the ale is right and I managed the cellar. So it wasn't like a pipe dream of, oh yeah, I'll have my own pub. It was a real possibility. I was just too young to do it. And I thought, I don't want to stay earning £6 an hour for like three years till I'm old enough to do it yeah. and not you know work, working all Saturdays and things as a 20 year old yeah so when so you when you go to your dad's business then are you trying obviously he's got a couple are you trying to then just make that standalone business as profitable as possible are you trying to grow it are you so I started trying to get more orders and it was interesting actually because my dad had said you know you need if you're going to grow the business you, you hear you know cold call and here's a list of contacts and things as well and start cold calling and I was 19 I was terrified and the interesting thing with labeling is you know we do a lot for the utilities industry a lot for electrical but you could go around any industrial estate in the country and some people may need your labels and it, it's it's funny because people just come back to us time and time again but they, they might not need us for months, years, you know. So to try and do that cold calling was quite daunting and difficult. And that's when I started working on the website. And 
getting organic leads through SEO and blog writing based on whatever it was we were wanted to get more of whether it's engraved switch plates or whatever and it's been really really brilliant for us and because I started it so long ago you know a lot of people spend a lot of money on google ads and we really don't and never have because people find us naturally because we're talking about what they're looking for right and so how did how did that affect what was his view on that when obviously he knows we had the odd conversation (laughs) yeah Yeah. you know because he had no understanding of that at all I didn't when I started but I knew it would work um and yeah really he let me have free reign very quickly because he'd got focuses on the other two businesses that were actually bigger businesses it really it wasn't a standalone business until after I took over and to be fair I didn't realize the extent of how much it wasn't a standalone business until I took over which was really quite scary because I at that point had I think I just had my first child I went back from maternity leave I had six weeks off and went back just employed there because before that I used to do some of the finances for the other business but because of me pushing this one and it was all just separating out as a family because my dad was going to retire and so my brother was in there and it, it just was becoming this natural time of splitting and then I looked at all the figures and like we didn't we used to pay a management charge but the monthly management charge was peanuts when you compared to the fact that you know we were putting all our posts through the franking machine and like our we worked I don't think we paid our own phone line you know everything and we were on their site we moved to a bigger unit on the next street and suddenly we had all our own bills on top of them being higher and nothing was subsidised anymore and we weren't profitable. Wow. Yeah, that was a good realisation. <laughs> yeah, what goes through your head at that point? Yeah, that was a panic, really, yeah. There was a you know a definite kind of moment of panic and it's funny because I try and think back to it now but it was like 12 years ago and I got a new baby as well, you know. But you just make it work and I'd gone back. I've always wanted to work... Like, my mum didn't go to work when we... Because I'm a twin, and it was deemed that, you know, twins back then, you know... Like, she was saying, like, the double buggies. You couldn't even get in the supermarket door. Someone had to open the fire exit so she could get in. You know, it just was kind of a different time, even though it wasn't that long ago. So she didn't go back to work. And for me, I always wanted to kind of be there for my kids. But at the same time, I couldn't have not worked. So... Yeah, I used to do it flexibly around my ex-husband's shifts and I'd work as much as I could when I could and, you know, we didn't. I didn't have the remote stuff that I've got now. And, yeah, you just sort of made it work. But very quickly, it was very much, right, look at the figures. But because I'd been a finance manager before, I knew what I was doing, but it didn't make it less scary. And it was just get as much working as you can. And we've always tried our best to be have a really good quality of service as quick as we can yeah and we're not necessarily the cheapest but I always kind of think of it as a bit of a triangle and you can either have you've got price service and speed you can have two of the three but you're not having them all because you can't you know you just can't and everything that we've done with the engraving machines like I bought in a laser engraving machine the materials far far more expensive it was it's much more expensive but it's quicker so every 
because our customers need stuff that everyone forgets to order labels just how it happens and you know there's no point being offended by this thing that you're really low down on their list because it's just how it is and so we've kind of worked towards helping our clients with that forever and it's meant that everything was going towards this being quicker so that we could get the jobs out so it helped us for getting clients in anyway but it did mean it was daunting at times with the costs really but speed and i'm glad now because you know with how costs are for wages and things now speed is of the essence yeah yeah everything needs to be as efficient as possible yeah you you mentioned having a newborn and that's probably something quite close to me at the moment so I've got I've got a 16 month old at the moment and I think we're going through this journey of mum guilt at the moment and that's probably the biggest challenge for my partner not necessarily for me although you get dad guilt yeah in, in the background I do get that but she's she's struggling with the ideas of working not working being with the baby but not being with the baby like how how do you juggle all of that with a business that you're trying to grow and turn profitable and I guess personal finances as well I think back then as well it was definitely like there was the necessity of it you know it had to be a success because what was the other option you know there wasn't one and I think mum guilt's always there I still have it now. I've now I'm now on my third child, so he's just turned two. So every time you do it, you have mum guilt. I still get mum guilt, but you just do the best you can because what else is there? You know, if you there's no point in beating yourself up about it. And I think mums in business, that's what we do. But we do it in life. We beat we beat ourselves up. Whatever we do, if we had an employed job we'd be beating ourselves up anyway because you'd have some boss telling you, you you couldn't have time off to go to sports day or assembly or whatever. And that, for me, has always been the attraction of having my own business because I've got the flexibility. I actually do a lot of the school runs, but at the same time, my first baby started nursery at six weeks old. The second one, I think he was eight weeks old. And this one, I've done it slightly differently and someone comes and looks after him a bit, but he started fairly early as well. And it works for us. So yeah, I've used like nursery and things to do it. And then I would maximize those days. And of course, because my ex-husband had them sometimes because of his shifts, it kind of worked right. Summer weeks I'd work more days because of the shift pattern. Another time I'd only go the two days because of nursery. So, but it is just for me, it's kind of acknowledging that it's there but then trying to live with it and doing the best you can yeah with what you've got and i think sometimes as well you're setting a really good example to your kids from a very young age that you're working because as they're growing up you know you're telling them you want them to work hard in school and things like that well i don't think it's a bad for them thing for them to think oh mummy's working because actually, I'd imagine from quite a young age, if you ask them, they've probably got quite a lot of pride in what you do. And in fact, I know mine, my, so mine are play football now, and eight and 12, the oldest ones. And I've sponsored the eldest team kit before. Right. He loves it, that it's got my company name on the front. And now we do the trophies for the club and sponsored them that way. 
And, you know, you can see that they're proud, that their mates have all got the top on, that's got your mum's company name on. And, well, that's a nice thing. Yeah. So when you were, when you were younger, you said that they play football. What was your dream? What did you want to do? I, I did dressage, actually. Okay. I used to train with the under-21s, the Britain under-21s, but I'm a big wuss. Okay. So basically, I'm, I'm much braver now than I was, but growing up, I've always been like quite a wuss. I was always scared of dying and, you know, being booked off. I've, I hadn't galloped until I was 31. My oh, wow. husband, my, my um, new husband, we went riding on the beach and I galloped on the beach at 31. I cried. Where? Where Be- like with, like joy of it. At the, it was up north, there were the Cumbrian heavy horses. And it was an amazing feeling. But yeah, so... That's even though I rode to such a high level, I'd never gallop because I was a giant Jesse. Wow! <laughs> but it's I really liked that. But when I got to this age again. It was at the time when I'd started working in the pubs, and I was at this level where my mum would always help by doing everything really for the horses as much as she could around us working, and it took up so much of our lives and my life. And, and she rode as well, but I either needed to make it my career in my mind or kind of stop really and because I wasn't brave enough that I mean I know people will just get on any horse and sort it out in effect when it's been a bit naughty and that wasn't me so I was like you know looking at it going well you know career no it's probably not enough money it's a lot of hours it's really hard graph working outside in the winter and at the time I was working in the pub working late nights and late nights and early mornings and I was at the age where you start wanting to go out yeah it just all kind of came to a natural time <laughs> that, that's that's crazy so not many people know this about me but I have a background in horses my, my, my grandparents and my mum have always had horses my mum actually does lessons in Antigua and she takes people riding in the sea on, on that the sounds dreamy um, yeah it's <laughs> It's incredible, but equally it's it's entertaining. And my my nan used to have a farm in Wales, and we used to break in the horses, and mm. they they used to sell the horses. There, there was a big horse farm there, and that was incredible. So, so kind of I have that small connection, but there there is no there's no way to explain that feeling of galloping across an open field or beach or, or something like that, and just genuinely flying across the field is the only way to describe it yeah the freedom yeah I mean when I did it I genuinely cried just of like joy and overwhelm like oh my god I can't believe I've never done this yeah and and actually I guess that's a shame you did it at 31 because if you'd have done it younger then maybe you'd have pushed more or, or, or taken a different path yeah and I think I don't know I think since meeting my husband um, and getting with him not till I was like 30 yeah, I was 31. 31. And I've got much braver with everything. I, I, don't, I don't know why, but yeah, I was... I just... I was quite a fearful person growing up. I don't know why. And all through my 20s. And then, of course, when you get kids, you worry about every little thing with them anyway. You know, are they still breathing when they're asleep? And, oh, you know, they fell over. and It's just, you know, one constant worry. And it, it's been really nice for me because I've mellowed a lot. And then it, you do get that much more enjoyment in life. Because you can do crazy stuff. <laughs> Although I did it another time and the horse was trying to kill me, but I survived. 
galloping with no stirrups by the way yeah yeah well, so. that's, that's not intentionally but because i read rode quite long because of dressage i yeah. lost them both while galloping because i hadn't shortened them enough right i stayed on <laughs> stick six dressage yeah it's, it's a much shorter yeah. shorter arena sort of safe although one did jump me out once oh wow <laughs> yeah so you're not totally safe because you're fenced in <laughs> so um I'm going to kind of push past a little bit more people around you that you've had on your journey how important have they been I think like my dad growing up was probably instrumental in that whole worker thing the worker ethic because he'd had a business go I'm sure his business went bust not long before we were born and then you know he just set up again and I think he'd been in a partnership the first time and you know he knew what had gone wrong and carried on you know and I think all through growing up he was he was there he was often there at the weekends and of course when you've got twins with different hobbies and stuff you kind of need all hands on deck but he he used to renovate the house and stuff because we had a house built when we were eight that he designed it all and he didn't do the bricklaying, but he did a lot of the other stuff, a lot of the electrics and stuff. He really, growing up, was a good influence on making us, you know, just see that hard work pays off, really. Yeah, he was there, but he's like, my mum always says he's like, first love was work. Right. You know, he, there was, even though he was there, there was never any confusion about how important the business was and they probably did a good job of hiding from it when you do like hiding from us when there's a bad year or whatever but it's something then you do the same with your kids quite well they and you should you know they don't need to know that you're having a tough time and you're stressed it's difficult but you manage so it sounds like you had quite a good relationship with your dad yeah I mean, there were times when we worked together that it was less so, but... That's that's part of it, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And especially because I worked with my brother as well. It, you know, there were times when it was all argumentative. Yeah, yeah, I bet. <laughs> mm. I think I've struggled to work with family. Yeah, I know quite a lot of people in family businesses, and it's. I think it's a funny time when you get to that bit where the kids are kind of starting to take over I think that's a really weird time for everybody and it must be weird for the dads as well right. but I've seen because I've got friends of similar ages I've seen it in a few cases now like successfully but trying to get the dad to retire and I know another business where the dad hasn't retired and like let them get on with it and I think that's more difficult for them I think the biggest part of that though is that's their life mm. you know he's he spent his whole life building that business, creating it to be what it what it was. Mm. Whether or not it needs to be brought into the twenty first century or, or changed or however you do that, but that's what he's done for twenty, thirty, forty years. Yeah, I was really lucky in that because my dad never had an interest in the engraving. Right. So for me, I didn't have the uh, same problem. <laughs> he, was, he was quite happy for you to take it. Yeah. And I guess also if it's loss making or it's not covering his costs, yeah. then he, actually... he did it because it saved him a lot of money and 
what he was buying. Yeah. Uh, so it fitted in well with his business, but it, it, it wasn't standalone. Yeah. So what's been your biggest failure? That's a tough one. I try to avoid failure. Not like, I'm not one of these people, I think you can learn from failure quite well. So, mm. but I wouldn't necessarily use the word in, like the examples I can think of, I've had staff issues that have been real bloody headaches. There's no two ways about it that, you know, at the time, have been massively stressful to get through. I had one guy that I suddenly realised he was on holiday and he was kind of running the place. He was really, really unpleasant to work with to the point that my office is upstairs, but most of the time I could be on the shop floor helping out. But I got to the point where I basically hid in my own office because I didn't want to be with him. And when I had to come down and go to the toilet, it, you know, I didn't want to because the atmosphere was unpleasant. And I was covering for him once on holiday and a couple of people called but interestingly they both shared the same name and was asking for this chap and I asked who it was and could I help no I thought this is peculiar and started to realize he was doing jobs on the side and it was only because of his holiday I'd found out that yeah he was doing these side jobs and when I spoke to I spoke to one of them turns out he didn't even know that it wasn't his business. He didn't know it was mine because he'd been leading him to believe that. And wow. yeah, doing these jobs on the sides for months. And I think it was only actually really the link with them both sharing the same name. I think they were called Andy. It was years ago. But I remember that like they were, he was asking for Andy. Uh, you, you know, it was Andy. Yeah. Tell him to call Andy. And yeah, they both had the same name and I think it helped highlight it. And then I managed to get the evidence I needed in the end. But it was a really difficult time. Wow, I guess at that point, do you notice the numbers are changing? Or? Yeah, so then, you know, you do look at the numbers and, but like, people are often clever and they do it for lower amounts of money, but I've seen it in my dad's business as well where, you know, people do stuff and it bigger value and the problem is once people get wind that someone's doing it, someone else starts and it's when it gets highlighted and, you know, people get greedy and it's just such a shame because, you know, like I've just said, the engraving company was like, loss leading then yeah. pretty much and you like like we've only just started to kind of make a little bit of money but I think people in a lot of the time people look at people in businesses and assume you're sat in some ivory tower earning shitloads and it's just you know often really not the case at all you've just got that freedom of working for yourself but you're trying to build something that employs other people and then their bills rely on you and all of this. And obviously it's hard enough as you, you know, everyone knows without the help of someone trying to make it more difficult for you. So, yeah. Yeah, so I've, I've kind of had more of those, like that sort of thing. So I wouldn't necessarily call it failure, but bloody painful at the time. A tough time. Yeah. So flipping that then, what's been your biggest success? I got... In 2013 it was, I got a blue chip client who I've kept for 10 years now and they found me on a Google search. Wow. Yeah, so they found me on a Google search because of the SEO and then because we weren't ISO registered at the time, or we've only done it fairly recently, they wanted to come in and do a supplier audit. And it was like 10 years ago and these two chaps came in from this company and quizzed me, looked around and everything. It was so daunting, really. 
back then, and it's funny because you think, well, you know, I was what 25, 26 at the time, but back then I just didn't even feel like a proper adult. And there's me like showing these guys around from this huge company who I desperately wanted to work with, yeah. and yeah, scary stuff. I imagine that's quite intimidating. Yeah, yeah, it was. It it was really intimidating. But you just, you know, you know what the outcome is you want, and it's the only way to get it. <laughs> so, to dealing with blue chip company, I think, do they, do they, how hard are they pushing your margins? How? Do you know? I think at the time when I priced it and everything, that they were obviously happy with what I was offering. Right. So actually, you know. They were happy. I'm happy with what we can do. They, they place big orders and I look after them. And they know that and they come back regularly because of that. And, you know, we do treat... I try and treat all of our customers in the same way. But equally, with you know, there can be quite a lot. You're dealing with the buyers, but then at the same time, once you get on site, they've got processes to follow to place their orders but kind of at the same time they've got guys on site just desperate for some labels because it means they can tell the guys to do something they're kind of twiddling their thumbs and I think because of my work in my other, my dad's other company I've got a lot of understanding of that side of things that's massively helped me in this business to really help our customers and they appreciate that right Okay, that's good because I think a lot of the bigger companies will turn up. They'll say, "Look, we'll put ten thousand orders for you, but we want the margin at this this amount, and you only make a penny or something." So. Yeah, it's it's not been like that for us. They do now pay on sixty days instead of thirty, but yeah. that's what they can do. I guess if you you've had them for a while, yeah. if they were on thirty and then they've gone to sixty, that's not too bad because you know and you've had the money coming in. Yeah, it's when they say, you know, you've got you've got five hundred normal orders a month. Yeah. Suddenly, you're now doing ten thousand, and they're not paying for sixty days. You've got to you've got to find that stock, and you've got to cover that sixty days. So it sounds like you've almost been able to to smooth through that. It's not regular work. So what happens is they'll end up with projects, and you can end up with big orders. All of a sudden, with little yeah. notice, sometimes. And then that I've had many a time where cash flow has been a real consideration because whilst it's 60 days, you don't know when they're going to pay. And we've got a few similar companies now. And I've had it before where, you know, an, or they're placing an order. It's going to take a while. You're paying for the materials and it takes longer. And in fact, one of them, we sent a job to Dubai just before Christmas. 21 and the pallet got held in quarantine which they were charging a storage every day and they because it they hadn't paid the customs thing or there was all this confusion with our courier was saying it's not us it's not them it should be the customer it was awful and in the end on like i think it was christmas eve no it was between christmas and new year so this was going on between christmas and new year right we closed no one's working they weren't working i ended up paying the storage charge and 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 the customs not knowing if i was going to get it back but we were talking like well over 1500 quid now going up by the day just get it out because 
it's going up by the day and yeah. it's another week at least till I can get an answer from somebody and it's just like just do it that was for a different one but yeah so that was pretty stressful yeah I bet <laughs> have you ever thought that it just isn't going to work not really no I have times where you think do I want the stress um you know I have and it's always staff related very rarely customer related but I had it one I think it was only last year when I had my last staff battle that was really hard and it was someone I'd been working with for a long time and he just he had no understanding of business really and what he was trying to he was always pushing for stuff but he wasn't good enough he made too many mistakes for what he wanted and he wouldn't put the time into you know he was just so busy talking about money and wanting to be paid more but not improving first and yeah we had to part ways and it was quite a traumatic experience because he decided they didn't want to part ways and you know these things go on but yeah so that and I think at times like that when you're already juggling I'd got a one-year-old yeah. you're juggling everything you're trying to make everyone happy customers wise you know customers staff you're trying to do the best you can and like you know the levels of overwhelm and stress are already pretty high at times like that yeah you kind of wonder if it's worth it more than if it's not going to work and you've also got your personal life going on in the background which people aren't aware of they might see your business side well we were having an extension at the time that took the best part of a year when all of the costs were going up for everything but we'd already committed to it you know it was yeah it was really stressful yeah Luckily, I've got a very supportive husband, but the problem is he's got his own business. Right. And juggling the two can be really stressful because, you know, I'd love to be that supportive wife. And actually, sometimes you feel like you're not... I think... I feel like it's pretty much impossible to be bossing it in business, motherhood, and wifing. Almost, <laughs> you know, almost that triangle again. Yeah, you just can't do it all and so there's invariably something suffering so it is difficult to try and keep that balance and keep everyone happy but yeah I would like to be more supportive at home Yeah. in the sense of he, his is a high pressure job and arguably more important than mine and it's funny because I think a lot of I think there's been so much like pushing back on women being oh we're as important we're this and we're that but sometimes I think you do have to I'm a very practical person and you do have to look at it sometimes and go yes but is that the case or is this particular meeting of his more important yes so then you end up picking up more of the childcare responsibilities as the mum just because it's the way it's supposed to be when they're little perhaps as well yeah I think it's really difficult and I mean dare I comment on it um like I think it's I think everybody is equally as important mm. but equally as a mum essentially you are the mum so there's certain things that you can do that, that he can't especially when they're newborn <laughs> but equally you need that mental space mm. you need to have your, your business focused you need to have something to, to focus on and to drive you so it's just as important for you to have that work, have that job, have that mm. that release as well, and not just spend every day at home 
Oh, yeah, I couldn't. You know, at, like at one point, because obviously I didn't really have maternity leave and stuff, and at the occasional point in time I've been a bit, like, miffed, maybe, you know, and a bit jealous of mums that go, oh, I'm off for six months or nine months and stuff. You're like, whoopee-doo, you know. But actually, it'd be hilarious if you could go back in time and try it, because I don't think I could do it. I, I couldn't have that amount of time without a focus of, like trying to make something better you know build something i think it's just kind of how i am yeah so very strange person clearly not at all i think everybody's mm. everybody's got their own journey everybody's got their own path and mm. and there's a lot of people similar to that i know certainly my wife she she's been itching to go back to work but then she's been saying what about i can't leave the baby at home and Again, it comes back to that. You do just feel guilty, but I think as well, it is that thing, isn't it, of you're itching to go back to work. You want to be useful. You want to be doing that. And I think it is that you have to acknowledge that you have that side of you that isn't going to be comfortable and happy staying at home. Yeah. Because you just start doing something else anyway, if you didn't. (laughs) And you spent however long in your life building up to be at that point Mm. to then just give it up and walk away I think it's tough equally the flip side to to go back is it's a minefield I think a lot of people do at that point change what they want to do don't they and I'd like a lot of people do kind of think oh you know maybe I should have my own business because I'll get the freedom and like with the many hats thing I've wanted to and it took me a while I was I had a block around helping mums because all of my children are boys right so I really kind of struggle at times about the whole helping mums thing because I've got boys and I feel like sometimes because there's such a push around girls now and helping girls I feel like sometimes the boys at schools can get overlooked and I think they'll create a bigger problem the other way if they're not careful but you know the only time's going to tell on that and I've eventually got around my block and realised that no I've, I've been doing coping with business being a mum for 12 years and I'm the first to like fight mum's corners when you know people will be saying oh I'm really busy really until you've kind of juggled it with motherhood and business and all school responsibilities and all the shit that comes with that you're not really like there's a whole different world to be seen and I get some people have different scenarios where their carers and things like that for their parents and such like but yeah Mamas need the extra help and the extra support, so I decided I'm gonna give it. So that that's where you decided to make. Yeah, many hats of business is really like the focus around mums and the fact that you know we have all those additional hats anyway. For, because some people, you know, if you go into business and you go in and buy a franchise or you become part of an MLM, you've got an element of support from that higher company. But obviously, if you decide to go wild and go on your own you just haven't got that and it's really lonely and really difficult so yeah that's what I wanted to help them with and obviously I've got a lot of business skills along the way and I want to be able to pass a lot of that on so that it reduces the overwhelm really and gives them a good chance of actually making money I know like obviously for what you guys do you deal a lot with helping people make more money in my business is like I think there's a lot of talk around people you know well we're a six-figure business with this with that and it was funny because it was only recently I looked at my figures and was like oh well I wasn't when I took over 
and now what we are but you know I didn't even celebrate it because it was just something that happened but I feel like as long as your business is allowing you to get the money out you need to live and you're doing it in a tax efficient way you're putting money into your pension for your future and things like that so that you're going to end up in the right place as long as you keep going consistency and I think people just don't always look everyone wants everything now and this is funny that I say because I'm the least patient person in the world but you just got to keep going because you will get there in time and I think it's just something we don't do as humans anymore but but what happens when you do get there then you sell and live in Scotland (laughs) Is is that is that the dream then yeah, we will, yeah, go up north, really, at some stage. But at the minute the kids are young, you know, we can't do that. And, yeah, so we just keep working along. I mean, it's funny because everyone aims for, like, retirement. And my husband's not even, like, really planning on retiring, and he's, which is a good thing because he's 15 years older than me. So, you know, I think it, when people stop is often when they get ill. Yeah and like it was a shame for my dad my dad got Parkinson's um, he'd started slowing down a bit he'd gone down to three days a week and then he got Parkinson's so his retirement hasn't been as they would have intended it they've had, had some lovely holidays and things like that but it, they would have hoped for longer of being able to do these things but he's had a good time of it, you know really it's just a shame it, it's limiting what he can do for longer you know and I think sometimes if you kind of if you can do something you enjoy and you can keep doing it yeah you won't want to work five days a week necessarily but if you can kind of get some balance with it what's the need to stop and retire i think i think we focus on this this end goal this Mm. retirement too much as a society that actually we need to enjoy the journey Mm. we need to enjoy the the getting there because as you say you know your dad got there but then had Parkinson's mm. and if he'd have put all his eggs in one basket all he wanted to do was retire and then he could go and do what he wanted to do then he's he's already too far and he thrived on business you know and you do you know all small business owners it's funny because recently I reevaluated my thoughts of I hate sales right because Let's think about it for a minute. Do you hate sales or do you do a bit of a victory dance where the big order comes in? Well, yeah, you do. So you don't hate sales. It's the thought of it that's or, difficult. Or a certain part of it. Yeah. You said to me you like the SEO bit. Mm. That's part of sales. So you like the inbound sales. Actually, the cold calling is a bit that we don't But like. even now, you know, I don't mind calling someone and having a chat because... I'm more confident as I'm older and I've got more experience talking to people then yeah I wouldn't <laughs> I wouldn't have welcomed it so why are you more confident now compared to where you were I was listening to something uh, to something a while ago actually about comfort zones and it really resonated with me and it was the thing of like if you've got your fist and everything inside it is your comfort zone and the things just outside um, you're not comfortable with yet and as you start to do them, you know, your fist expands to include that and it just grows and grows. And I think you know, that's part of our life journey. 
you just get more comfortable with things. The more you do it, the more experience you have with things. Like coming here, for example. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I think it is fun in that journey, isn't it? And, you know, pushing yourself to do things. I, I look back to the start of COVID. I don't recognise the person I was then. I don't recognise the person I was when I got divorced in 2018. I I don't look any different. Well, I do, but a little bit. I've got dark hair now. But you know, people. But it's funny because, yeah, people sometimes don't recognise me. But I think, oh, yeah, I don't recognise myself as a person because I wasn't a proper adult at 30. And you're, you're growing year on year now. Yeah, I eat Stilton now, it turns out, last week. Celebrate the wins. <laughs> Brilliant. So... Going back to then staff, you've got a staff member now that you've given shares to? Yeah, and I think it's part of that thing of where obviously I've had bad experiences in the past. I've had this guy now, and I think we talked about it the other day, we think he's been there nearly 10 years now. Um, And he always lacked in confidence. Like, we'd laugh because when he first, like, we remember a time however many years ago it was probably eight nine years ago where someone would say oh they've rang for you they've asked for you by name and he'd be reluctant to take the call and now he's like me talk to anyone and you know I just really wanted to reward that loyalty and the fact that he's been a permanent fixture and support in the journey because it is lonely and it is tough and as much as like we don't talk about the kind of more finance side of it because he's not comfortable with it you know he just doesn't like that side if I was to ever sell the business he'll get a chunk of money and that's why I wanted to do it and then you've you've created a shareholder agreement with him yeah so we had to go through the process of getting a shareholder agreement I took out a solicitor to do and I think with that it, I was lucky in that because we'd done the divorces my husband had been through sorting out the shareholder agreement with his ex-wife for the business because they worked together so it made me know about the importance of it and I don't think people always do so you know it's just about protecting you both because of to make sure neither one can stitch the other one up in any way even sometimes it's not even willingly or you know wantingly it just happens like if for example I'd given him shares and then he just decided that he didn't want to do this anymore and up and left and then I'd got to buy him out and he might have been doing it six months. I paid the money to do like the paperwork and then I'd have had to try and raise money to pay him out of like my business in essence. So, you know, it's just about protecting yourself with these things. And I think maybe because my dad had had that business go bust with the partnership and, you know, I've just always known that partnerships can be a bit of a disaster and I think that's why I'm quite keen on making sure like the paperwork's in place to avoid that. And I think you've used a really good comparison there between marriage and mm. and shareholder agreement because I think they're almost the same thing. When you're when you're connected through shares or you're connected through marriage, I think they're very similar and to get out of it is almost a similar process. You are legally connected to each other and it is really tough yeah it's yeah divorce wasn't easy but I got divorced before the no blame thing came in so that was uh, less helpful but yeah I think people can underestimate it as well and like go into business oh let's go into a business with friends and just sort of oh it's fine because we trust each other and all this yeah that's fine now but you know 
for the sakes of however much the paperwork costs, and I'm sure you can do it cheaply and it'll still be quite effective, it's just not worth it. And, and, and to be fair, pay the money and do it properly. Exactly. As you said, it's fine now, mm. but you go through different stages in life. You... And, and that's an interesting thing as well. You go through different stages in life because like, I got married far too young, as I tell my children, because I got married at 22. And, you know, everybody grows and you grow in different directions, quite possibly. So if you do that with a business partner as well, you know, you might both want to do this at the time and then you, someone wants to do, go in a different way with the services or the product. I mean, I'm very passionate about the environment, which is difficult for me sometimes because I make plastic labels. But I've made the... I've done the research to get the best material we can. There's a portion of it that's um, recycled. It's recyclable. The other material that everyone used to use and people still use it, it should be banned. You know, it's not good material and people still use it and people specify it. It's like the trade name where, you know, if you go, you don't go to vacuum your house, you hoover your house. That's the same in the engraving world. And Trafalite is just disgusting. It's horrible material. And people still use it. And I just, I write blogs about it because it annoys me. (laughs) But you just, you know, you just shouldn't. And I think, you know, if you go into business with someone and they want to do that, like for us, for example, there's personalization. A lot of people have got laser machines now, you know, in the garages and they do personalized everything, cake toppers, whatever. I could do it. We have the technology. I can't bring myself to do it because I think there's too much right. like plastic tat in the world that we don't really need. So I struggle. Like that's one of my biggest struggles of I could push the business more, but it'd be potentially in an area that it doesn't. I don't agree with, so, so I can't do it. <laughs> almost limiting profits, but thinking yeah. about the environment and the world. Because yeah, and that's a non-negotiable for me. Yeah. So you know. And if if you had a different shareholder that came in and said, "Look, we want, we need more profits. Mm. We, I don't care what it is. We're going for profit." Then you know you don't you don't connect. Connect. No. So, Luckily, I'd worked with him for a very long time, and I don't think he's going to be rushing to make arty farty yeah. Yeah. <laughs> stuff either. And you choose the right people. Yeah. So where do you see yourself in the future? I'd like to be doing more with many hats of business. I think engraving, I'd like to grow it a bit, but at the same time, where we're based in Leicester, we end up with, we often get quite a few staff where, you know, they've come from local estates where they might not have many chances in life. One of the guys that's working for me at the minute, he, I think he's in his 30s, but he doesn't read and write very well. So for him to get a job, he hasn't got the confidence to go and do it. He's really hard work and he's fantastic. We really like him. And obviously we just don't get him to necessarily check the labels if it's something that's not going to make him feel comfortable Uh, but he is still growing as a person and I really like that I can do this and give people chances that might struggle in other places because their CV's no good yeah so it's not necessarily that I want to massively do anything different with that and I'm kind of going off in the other way a bit but I think they can sit together quite nicely and, you know, my production manager does a lot of the day-to-day. I work, ever since COVID, I, I only pretty much go in once a week now. I work remotely. The rest of the time I can help them set up labels if I need to. I do a lot of the quoting. 
it's it works quite nicely and I think it's an interesting thing in business because everyone's always pushing 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 for more but do you need that do you want that and is there any point really you know whereas I could do something that will give me more you know I didn't grow up and go I want to be an engraver you know and I know I like to help people I like to help people get off site in essence with getting their labels delivered on time and things like that but it's kind of more than that for me so for me if I can do something where I help people to lead better lives as well I think it'll be quite a nice balance okay so we've got these cards here diary of CEO I'm sure you've heard of it yes um, the book and, is on the way <laughs> <laughs> and basically what we do at the end we just choose one card each at random and we we answer it so I'm going to give you a choice of any card there oh what is your definition of luck oh is that for me then okay oh okay so my definition of luck is when opportunity meets preparation because I think bar a few anomalies which I did want to mention it to somebody who was just very unlucky but if you are prepared to and you're ready to take on that challenge and that opportunity comes about you step forward and taking it that's that's luck essentially um and that's how I like to see it. Yeah, I think for me with luck, I kind of think there's an element, isn't there, of you make your own luck and that's that thing, isn't it? If an opportunity comes and slaps you in the face and you don't take it or you don't notice it. Yeah, and you're not prepared for it. Yeah. Then that opportunity will go and you'll, you'll think maybe it was just unlucky, but that that's how I like to see it. I think I believe a lot in fate as well and it's it's similar isn't it in that you know some things I just think are meant to be yeah although and, yeah and obviously hopefully it's on the positive side you're lucky I'm an eternal optimist so that helps me that's good <laughs> okay I'm gonna pick is there something you associate with a key moment of hardship in your life No, I mean, I married the wrong person at the wrong time because I was too young and there was associated hardship with that. Equally, I had two wonderful boys out of it and, you know, so there were positives. See, that's the joy of being an eternal optimist. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Can't, I can't come away from it. <laughs> but, but I think that's a good way to look at it. Mm. As, as long as you're looking at things in a positive spin. Yeah, you know, I wouldn't change any of it because of what happened and I might not have met my husband or my, you know I think that's that knock on and fate and you're in the right place at the right time and all these things and I think if I, if you go back and change anything I don't know if you've seen The Cursed Child from um, J.K. Rowling but it's a really interesting thing that I've, I read it with my 12 year old that they went back 
with a time turner and changed and any slight thing that you changed massively altered the future and I think it, it is actually a really interesting kind of lesson that actually everything happens as a result of what has happened up to that point and if any of that had been different who knows what would have happened it's a hugely different path yeah you. so yeah I wouldn't have changed any of it but yeah I've not got any like known big trauma or anything right okay brilliant well thank you for coming on thanks for having me and I'll close it there brilliant if you've enjoyed listening to our podcast please like and follow and make sure to tag us on social media Thank you.